What's up, everyone? Welcome to the 282nd episode of the Pokemon Podcast. It's super effective. I'm your host, SBJ. With me is Will. And I'm still lost in the wilderness without a companion to guide me, because you're no companion. We're like the bananas in pajamas of the podcasting world. Is that a thing? Are there not two two different bananas in pajamas that come down the stairs? I don't know how the song goes. What? I have never heard of bananas in pajamas before. It was like the show that replaced Barney or Sesame Street, but wasn't actually as good as Barney or Sesame Street. I, like Barney started when, like after I had graduated from college already, so oh, way out of my domain. Barney was like, I had like one year of Barney that appealed to me before before I wasn't in the Teletubbies. That was another thing. No, no, no. I was uh, Romper Room, Captain Kangaroo, definitely Sesame Street, and Electric Company. Those were mine. Electric Company. The Electric Company, oh my man, they had Spider-Man on there. Oh man, Spider-Man electric seems like for older boss. kids. Uh, what do we what do we hear? We're going to talk about some Pokemon. <laughs> There's not a lot of news this week. There was one big news story for Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon that we will get to. Well, I mean, let's just dive right into news. Actually, let's back up. Let's cancel the news music. All right. There are probably there are probably people here because there's a specific guest in the title. By the way, our Pokemon of the week is Snorlax. I interviewed the three-time World VGC Pokemon champion. Probably said those words in the wrong order. Ray Rizzo, the only person to ever win three times at Worlds. I think the only person to ever win twice in a row, aka three times in a row. I also think the only person to win twice in a row. That's the one I'm not. Sure, I'm pretty sure Ray Rizzo's the only person to win multiple times at the World Championships. At an interview with him, we talk about the game of new people getting in, how much he's practiced, what it felt like to win, what happens after you win. Uh, we talk about cheating. We talk about all that. If you're specifically here for that interview, uh, check the timestamps for that. Otherwise, you know, we're going to do our news. We're going to move to that interview. We're going to come back for some emails of Pokemon of the Week. That's our episode. So now roll the news music. And the first bit of news here is Meowth blasts off to Build-A-Bear Workshop. This is off Polygon from our good friend, Allegra Frank. I've started listening to her program. It's real good. Sorry to cross-advertise. Uh, the po- <laughs> is it, isn't it called The Polygon Show? That's correct. It's so good. <laughs> I think I've listened to one episode and I really liked it. I gotta gotta work on my podcast rotation. It's it's out of sync right now. Build a Bear Workshop's latest stuffed Pokemon is Meowth, and the character is available for purchase starting today. It's the fifth Pokemon to enter the Build a Bear collection, and it's already one of our favorites. A sixty dollar bundle, including the plush, a sound clip, and two costumes, is on sale exclusively through the website. While a twenty eight dollar Meowth and only one outfit can be available in stores. The online set includes the hallmark piece from the Pokemon item, though a Team Rocket hoodie for Meowth to wear. In the Pokemon cartoons, I'm going to correct that and say the Pokemon anime. In a release, Build-A-Bear Workshop was clear to mention that Team Rocket's hoodie would not come to stores at any point. Instead, fans can buy a Quick Ball style hoodie for both online and in physical locations for $12.50, American dollars. As the online-only sound chip, it's not clear whether the six available items will be based on the 
human language speaking meow scene in the show or if it's going to be the normal sounds that Charmander slash Pikachu slash other Pokemon make. You know what else isn't coming to Build-A-Bear stores at any point? <laughs> Bulbasaur. They've made that clear. What oh, do we, man. So we have, this is, this is the fifth, so Meowth, Squirtle, Charmander, Pikachu, and Eevee, I think is the fifth one. Yep, yep, there's an Eevee out there. Uh, I was curious whether the sounds that were going to be included would be uh, Meowth going, that's right. I can't, I can't do a Meowth voice. Or just like, Meow. No. <laughs> I would assume that it is the Team Rocket noises at this point. In, in our in our journey. Well, Team Rocket Meowth vocalizations, yes. But this this is this I, I don't understand the marketing here, and I didn't understand it when they did past Pokemon. They always put the cool item online only. And that just seems so backwards. Like don't you want people to come into your store for the exclusive item and while you're there you can sell them more clothing? Maybe they don't want long lines of people trying to get exclusive items at their stores. Maybe they want like the reverse of what every other retailer in America wants. Or maybe they just don't maybe they they want the people coming in to buy the bears and not the pokemon because I bet they are not actually seeing a lot of profit from the pokemon because of the licensing fees and, the and maybe there isn't a lot of uh, upsell on the on the Pokemon stuff because people are like, well, I want the Pokeball hoodie and yet, no, I, I don't want any other clothes. The Just the Pokemon stuff. Thanks. All right. Have a nice day. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe Build-A-Bear knows what they're doing. They've been around for a while. Certainly have. <laughs> Certainly stuffing those bears. All right. Before we get to the big news article here, last week I got invited to a EX raid, Will. Was that an exclusive invitation or just an EX invitation? Well, I believe it was an exclusive invitation, but it doesn't say the word exclusive anymore. It just says the word EX. I certainly, uh, my invitation got lost in the mail, obviously. Oh, yes. Do you know of any people in the DC area getting invites? No, because I don't hang out with human beings. Okay. But interestingly enough, I was leaving the doctor's office. I uh, see a doctor on Washington Circle uh, one morning this week. And there was like, last week, there was a crowd of people on the sidewalk. And like, if you want to get Will Anderson mad here, easy pro tip, make sure that the sidewalk is crowded so that people who just want to walk down the street can't do it. So I, I walked through the crowd and then I got to my car and I was on Pennsylvania Avenue trying to get back to the office. And I look at the crowd again as I turned the corner past them. And what were they all doing? Tapping on their phone screens. A raid had appeared right at lunchtime and they were all going whole hog on that. So maybe those people were getting a Mewtwo. That could be it. Why didn't you stop and ask? Why didn't you notice they were playing Pokemon Go while you walked through angrily? Because I was angry. Okay. <laughs> so there was a there was a first wave of ex invites we talked about this like two weeks ago that these used to be called exclusive raids niantic changed it to ex raids which i think was a right the right choice the first wave went out with some locations in seattle i think that was the first couple invites then a couple other people were getting invites, and then it seemed like there was a second wave of invites that went out to 
people who participated at raids at Sprint stores. And Sprint is an official sponsor of Pokemon Go, so that only makes sense. So my invitation says 915 18 o'clock to 19 o'clock, which I had to do a little math. Uh, that's 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. 9.15 was Friday. It says, get your level badge, Watosa, Wisconsin, United States. Get directions. And if you hit get directions, it opens up in Google Maps exactly where to go, which was the Sprint store located near a Target I shop at. It says, congratulations, PKMNCast. You are invited for a field test for an EX raid. Here is your EX raid pass. Note, this event is invitation only. And then it says that underneath that invitation, it says, this is your reward for a previous victory at Get Your Level Badge, which is the name of the the gym, which is the Sprint Store, because all Sprint Stores, I think, are called Get Your Level Badge. Please visit the gym at the given time to join the EX Raid Battle. And it was a Black Raid Bass pass that went in your inventory. You could not delete it. Uh, If you were full with your inventory, you still got it. And before we get to the Me Too battle, there, were, there have been other locations that were not Sprint stores that got invites. I know there was a college campus that got an invite. I heard of a couple monuments in other states that got invites for that. So I don't know if they're continuing to do invites or if they've gotten enough people or if there's going to be a third wave. I don't think at this point in time, going out to Sprint and doing a raid, you're suddenly going to get a pass. So did you, wait, did you just open Pokemon Go and the raid just pa- passed, popped up in front of you? Like, yes. tra-la-la, here you go. Yeah, ha, ha, you found me. That's that's the meme, right? <laughs> you found me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's the <laughs> meme. <laughs> so I was worried overall before I, because 9.15, that was the date of the, the raid. From the press release originally, it's, Niantic said, hey, we're going to roll out at the time, exclusive raids, and you're going to get invited to those, and those are going to be based off of re- of raids you've done in the past. And everyone in the world freaked out because they didn't know if that was, like, which locations were going to get it, where they were going to get it, how often you have to raid, etc., etc. And really, no one knew because there wasn't any details. And while there still aren't a lot of details because this is a beta test, I can tell you that I was... I was one of the few people that didn't think I was going to get this at all, or actually I thought if I was to get one, I was going to get one in a city that I was no longer in, because all of August I was traveling. I was in Indiana for a week with you. We did we did a ton of raids. Yeah, that's my problem, is the only places I've ever done raids are like Chicago and Indiana. <laughs> I've never done a raid in D.C. So we did a ton of raids in Indiana, and this was well after the fact that Mewtwo was possibly coming. And then I went to Seattle, and I did a ton of raids there. And the last raid that I actually did at that location, a Zapdos. And I have two Zapdoses from Wauwatosa, so I'm not sure exactly which Zapdos it is, but they're both bo- both close in dates. One Zapdos was uh, August 9th, and the other Zapdos was uh, August 11th. So one of those two Zapdoses is the one I caught at that location Maybe I did a Magikarp there or whatnot, but fast forwarding to the actual event, every pretty much half the group, and there was about 25 people there, half the group I recognized from the Zapdos raid that I originally did there. So I got the invite two days before the actual event. I was in a iMessage group that they all were posting their invites, and they actually got invited to a different Sprint store 
also in Wauwatosa, down the street, actually, at Mayfair Mall, that they got invited to do the Mewtwo EX raid. I was the only one out of all those people that got invited to the Target location. I got there 10 minutes early. There was already about 10 people there. Again, most of these people I recognized from the Zapdos event. Uh, we waited till 6.10. I think one of the guys posted on Facebook, the Milwaukee Facebook group, if you got a Mewtwo event, we'll start right at 6.10. We'll give people time if they're running late. We had enough people to break into two groups. There was a all mystic group, and then there was a mis- there was an instinct and valor group. I don't think either of those had enough people. I actually think they could have done it if they split up into separate groups, because we we defeated Mewtwo in about sixty seconds. Really, Mewtwo has two powerful moves, I believe. One is psychic, and then the other is focus blast. Focus blast is what you have to worry about if you have Tyranitar, because it can one shot Tyranitar. Psychic, I think it was two to three shotting Tyranitars. But we had, I think, 15 Mystic people in our group, so I, 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 it wasn't much of a threat at all. I, I'm, I'm assuming most people were using Tyranitars or Sneasels or Umbreons or something of the sort. I don't know. It's not like any raid has ever been very dif- difficult to complete unless you're really short on people. I caught Mewtwo. Uh, I caught it on my third ball. Not that that matters too much of which ball you catch it on because every ball is uh, just a set percentage. But I guess if it's depending on if you can throw greats, if you can throw curves, if you can throw golden raspberries, I'm pretty sure. So Mewtwo's catch rate is 6%. That's a little different than everything else. The legendary birds are 3%. Lugia is 2%. Uh, All the current legendary beasts are 2%. Lapras, Blastoise, Rhydon, Snorlax, all the tier 4 raids, Tyranitar, they're 5% catch rate. So Mewtwo is higher. And I believe somebody did the math. I could be mistaken, but a 6% catch rate plus a level 3 Psychic Badge plus a Golden Raspberry plus a Curveball plus a Great Throw comes to about 50-ish percent, give or take a couple percents. About 50% per ball to catch. So really, really good odds. I think with a 2% catch rate and everything I just listed, you're looking at about 30%, like 25 to 30%. Again, my numbers are, are really rounded here. Almost everyone at my event caught Mewtwo. I think out of the 25 people, two did not catch Mewtwo. And one of them specifically, they were already all through all their balls before I even got to ball two. Like they just... Oh, they were the Will Anderson of the group. They were the Will Anderson. They just threw all, and they were a mystic, so they got 12 balls. All 12 balls before I even threw my second ball. They were. So have they fixed the last ball glitch? They have, yeah. Yep. Okay, okay. So I was on um, Pokemon Go Radio this week. So really nice guys over there. They talk They talk very in-depth about Pokemon Go, so you, you can check that out if you want Pokemon Go. This They, they had me on because they they are not, you know, hundred percent into Pokemon like Will and I. They don't know all the all the sick tips about Gen three, Gen four, everything else. Some some would say they're Gen oneers. Oh dear, <laughs> they're really nice guys though. Uh, so they had me on. We talked about Gen three. Uh, it was really funny. Me being the person that corrects Pokemon pronunciations. Wow. 
that means like it's a whole mystery if you actually even got anywhere close to I think so. Accurate. The, the ones that stood out to me was Milotic. I think a lot of people say Milotic wrong because they say melodic, but the anime is very, very keen on saying Milotic. Uh, they didn't know how to say Gardevoir, which I feel like, hey, that's in my alley. I know all about Gardevoir, especially in the TCG. Gardevoir? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, check them out if you want to hear my thoughts on Gen 3 coming to Pokemon Go. We'll probably, Will and I will definitely talk about Gen 3 coming to Pokemon Go as we, as we get closer to actual Gen 3. We don't know. Uh, but po- the guys over at Pokemon Go Radio, very nice. But they brought up a question. I want to pitch that question to you, Will. All right, I'll answer. I- I've spoken with these gentlemen before, so I'm sure their <laughs> questions will not terrify me. How do you feel about the Sprint stores being a sponsored location, being the ones that invited people to EX raid passes? And to broaden that question, how do you feel about that in futures of hey, these Pokemon are going to be at sponsored locations, for example, like Starbucks. Well, if they're at Starbucks, then I'm fine with it because there's like 30 Starbucks within one mile of my home. If they're at Sprint locations, I might as well be rural because we don't have Sprint stores anywhere near where I go in my life and I'll never (laughs) see one. Uh, I mean... If this is a way for Niantic to make money and keep prices down on my 100 Pokeball packs that I need to buy every now and then because I just throw my balls away at anything and everything terribly and don't actually catch anything, that's that's okay. I'm I'm fine with sponsorship. It's you know, it's the new world of advertising. We're we're not watching TV ads anymore. They've got to find ways to get their product in front of your face somehow and I mean, are you I mean <sighs> Are you really complaining because it's Sprint and Starbucks? What, 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 which, which brand is a step too far for you <laughs> that where you're going to, oh, oh, wait, Domino's sponsored raids. Nope. No, we're not going to do it. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts can't, mm, now, now I'm done with Pokemon Go. No, no donkeys. We talked about this though prior to Pokemon Go coming out that I'm surprised that places like Target or Best Buy or, Toys R Us, like these are three stores specifically that have done Pokemon related stuff. Speaking of news, you are able to walk into a Target and get on October 1st and get a download code for a Charizard for but also right? Nobody's ever complained. This is this is part of the core history of Pokemon for years and years and years, right? Go to GameStop to get your shiny Giratina, right? This this is not new. This is actually making Pokemon Go more like a traditional Pokemon game. <laughs> Go to your sponsored location for your location exclusive. And we all get in our cars and try to sit in the parking lot rather than go into the store and <laughs> do what we have to do. And again, we I talked about this on Pokemon Go Radio, but I want to bring it up just because we're talking about Pokemon Go. These This month-long Raikou event leading into a month-long Suicune event, leading into a month-long Entai event, I just don't think is the right way to do Legendary Pokemon, especially in a game that requires getting people together. And my fix for that, what I would want to see, is yes, it is totally nice that it's a month-long, people live very busy lives, some people can only play on the weekends. Some people can only play on, you know, Wednesday nights. Some people might Some be- people can only play when they're talking to their mom on the phone in the evenings. 
Yep, yep. If you want to get people to go out and do something, I feel like you do have to set some sort of time limit on. So instead, what I would have preferred for... And I, and I think certain games do this really well. So you look at something like Splatoon 2, you look at something like Destiny, you look at something like Clash Royale, I'm just trying to bring, bring up games that are on different platforms. But in Destiny's case, Xur is only available Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. Or even, so it, it forces players to be like, well, I haven't played Destiny this week, but I have to get on this weekend to talk to Xur. Or to take that one step further, Trials of the Nine, what used to be called Trials of Cyrus, is also Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So what you're doing in that sense is you're putting all those competitive players and you're telling them to play together at this time. Uh, Splatoon 2 does something called Salmon Run, and Salmon Run is like once every like 48 hours, and you can see in your menu the next Salmon Run. It then brings all those people who want to play Salmon Run together on those days. It's like, well, I haven't played Splatoon this week, but I know Salmon Run is on Thursday, and so I'm going to play, and all my friends plan on playing, play, pay, playing Salmon Run as well. Whereas if Salmon Run was every day, you're going to break your user base into people who are just playing Salmon Run because it's available and then they get burnt out. Or then you have people who don't see that, don't see a reason to play Salmon Run because it's not limited in that aspect. And again, Clash Royale does this where like, hey, for these next three days, you can play in this specific tournament. And if Pokemon Go did something like that, like, hey, Raikou is all this month, but it's only... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that at least gives people like, okay, this weekend I can go out to catch Raikou and also everyone else has that mindset too instead of it's this whole month, a bunch of people, of course, at the beginning of the month are going to catch it and then you have this long middle month of, of no one doing anything. You know, I'm in Facebook groups, I'm in Discord groups, I'm in an iMessage group. And really, after the first three or four days of Raikou, all of those groups have been inactive. And these are the hardest of hardcore Pokemon players to be in all these multiple groups to tell people where raids are, to like keep playing. Like These are your hardcore players, and they're not talking anymore, and Raikou is here all month. So how does that feel for like an average player who they might see a Raikou, it might be a Wednesday afternoon, and, and they have no way of getting more people to be there, whereas... If it was just like, hey, every Saturday Raikou is going to be around, you spawn more Raikus, you get more people out, and it's easier for people to connect. I don't know, that's my opinion. I just I just don't think what they're doing right now is is a is helping the Pokemon Go player base in any way. No, I, I agree with you because if it was like that these uh legendaries only spawned on the weekends I would probably message James from Slack, who, you know, lives here in DC, and I know he's an active Pokemon Go player, and be like, all right, James, let me know when the DC Reddit says that uh, everybody's going to be doing one of these raids, and I'll show up for that, because I I'm not going on Reddit, so I need somebody else to do it for <laughs> me. But having it so open and ambiguous, it's like, well, you know, James might be doing it on Wednesday because he got off of work early and he's on that Reddit and he knows other people that are going to do it. So that really leaves me out in the cold. And I'm sure at the end of the month, there will be a bunch of people playing. I'm sure the last two, three days, there will be, you'll probably have an easier time finding random groups because those are going to be all the people that are like, this is our last chance to catch Raikou. And that leads into 
I don't know which one's next, Suicune or Anti. But there's also they've also done like the the worldwide events of hey it's fire and ice week so we're gonna spawn more fire and more ice Pokemon in your neighborhood we're gonna give your buddy some more walking XP and that's gonna get and that gets people out there and doing stuff we haven't had one of those in a while and and so it's even kind of hard to just walk around a park now and see Pokemon Go players and don't get me wrong they exist they're there they're still playing I'm still playing Will still playing. This this specific event, this Raikou event, is just not a good event. It just it's it's not doing what the core point of the game is, which is getting people together and playing. It did for like one or two days, but then what are we doing for the other twenty eight days of the month? Playing Destiny. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Except not this morning when I wanted to play Destiny and the servers were down. Thank you, Sony. Uh, let's talk about the big news here. September 13th from the Nintendo Direct off off this website called PokemonPodcast.com. Titled two new Ultra Beasts, details on Necrozma. This is the official press release sent my way. I just posted it word for word like I always do. I'm not a writer. I don't need to add anything fancy to it. During the presentation, it was revealed that the mysterious Pokemon shown on the packages of Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon are in fact Necrozma. Let's stop there. Did you think that these Pokemon were Necrozma, or do you think they were different forms of Lunala and Solgaleo? Well, I didn't think it was going to be the way it was portrayed in the video. Uh, That's what I can certainly say. (laughs) I mean, when you see a fusion like that, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, as uh, a friend of mine likes to say. So who am I to say which one has the majority ownership? But boy, that video... Oof. Scary. After taking over the legendary Pokemon Solgaleo, they said it. They said it a certain way in the direct. I can't remember how they said it, but I'm I'm not saying it properly. Uh, Solgaleo and... So, after taking the legendary Pokemon Solgaleo in in Pokemon Ultra Sun or the legendary Pokemon Lunala, which I am saying right, in Pokemon Ultra Moon, Necrozma becomes Dusk Mane Necrozma or Dawn Wings Necrozma. Duskman Krasma can use Sogaleo's signature move, Sunsteel Strike, and Dawnwing Wings Necrozma can use Lunala's signature move, Moongeist Beam. Alongside these new forms of Necrozma, two new Ultra Beasts, UB Assembly and UB Burst, were shown. Details about these mysterious beings will be unveiled later. Okay. So... They haven't. They didn't say anything about the typing, right? No, nothing. The Necrozmas. No, they didn't actually say anything about the typing of Necrozma. They didn't say anything about the typing of the two new Ultra Beast. Hmm. Well, it's just interesting because Solgaleo is Psychic Steel and Lunala is uh, Psychic Ghost, right? Yeah. So, and and Necrozma is Psychic Monotype. So maybe their typing just won't change at all. When when it was um. When it was Kyurem, that everybody became Ice Dragon. It didn't matter if they were Fire Dragon or Electric Dragon before. But I think that, you know, Dawn Wings... What is it? Is it Dawn Wings? Dawn Wings, <laughs> yeah, with an S. I like, the, I, like the, uh, I like the Japanese names much better. Much easier to understand. Which I think the Japanese names are actually like Solar Eclipse and Lunar Eclipse forms. <laughs> <laughs> so much good, easier. Good. You know, that Necrozma may keep the steel typing, 
when it fuses with Solgaleo. <sighs> I think you're actually saying it right. I'm just like, I'm, I'm so scared. Just like, I mean, did you watch the video of the way that the fusion happens? Was it in the on the Pokemon YouTube? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, but basically, it's just like Necrozma takes his those big old creepy arms and, and like snatches them. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> there, there's no there's no fighting back there's no those arms it's kind of like have you ever heard of slender man that that's that's like the creepiness there yes 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 yes. it's kind of like that so necrozma is what it's this it's not like darkness but it's it like locks in light if i'm not mistaken uh, it's like like a void like you know you know you know the void <laughs> yeah it's like the noid dominoes no no, you avoid the Noid. The Void is the emptiness of space between, you know, the stars. It's 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 where there is nothing. So, yeah, Necrozma is, is darkness. It's shadow. It's not dark type. It's psychic type. Well, it's, but, uh, well, like, what? It's it's no color. It's not really darkness. Yeah. It's just there's no color. Because color is formed by light. So, like, the color black, you need light to form the color black. And Which the, is interesting because he's the Prism Pokemon, so or it's the Prism Pokemon, uh, so you know it's like it diffuses light into colors. Hmm. So before, okay. So this, so Necrozma's cool. We knew that we knew this was going to be a Kyrium, a Kyrium situation. The big news, though, and this has to do with the Pokedex, but the big news here is this is the first ever Pokemon game. That is not a new generation that has introduced new Pokemon. True. There was some debate in Slack a while ago about this. I think somebody asked what I expected from Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. And I said, I bet there will be two new UBs. Because there's a point in the game where I think it's Hala. It's somebody, though, that says, oh, I think it might be Kukui or Kukui's wife, actually. They say that... There are more Ultra Beasts that we don't know about yet. And so I, off that line and off, you know, the, the playing the game, I was like, I bet they're going to do new UBs. And the debate there was they have never done new Pokemon in a sequel slash third version. I don't know what to... I don't know if there's one word to like summarize those two. Like, uh, no, I think I think sequel is accurate um, because it's just a carry forward of the current gen's game with a different story. So, sequel, sure. No, nah, it's the same story. It's just slightly modified. It's going to be a different story. No, it's not going to be no black and white two. It's going to be the same story. It's going to be like how much? How much do you want to bet? I bet. Okay, so you, I would say it's going to be closer to platinum than black and white two. Well, Platinum. I mean, I would say Platinum's a different story. There's whole different characters in different positions. Platinum is, like, mostly the same story. When you get to the end, it might be pretty different, but and I'm sure it's going to be the same here in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, but Black and White 2, not only is your character older, but Charon and Bianca are older. There's a different champion. Alder's in some shack in the beginning of the game. There's... He's in his hole, not the shack. <laughs> There's this whole ice world. Uh, there's two new gyms. This is going to be the same island workflow. Is this going to be the same how eating poffins, popcorn, malasadas, malasada. 
I, I just think you need to check a dictionary for the definitions of same and different. Because <laughs> any change it means different. Yeah, but this, I'm saying this is not a sequel. This is a modification of the original story. All right, so like an alternate universe. Let's let's agree to that. Yes. How's that? Like instead okay. of Ash going to get his first badge, he then decides to follow Ho-Oh. Instead of having a chicken hat, you have a different hat. Exactly. The other part of my argument was, and I think this is the most important part of the argument. Yeah, I could take one throwaway line from a Pokemon game and say like, that probably means more than most people think it means. And, you know, nine times out of ten, a a throwaway line in a Pokemon game means little to nothing. But I think the thing that people overlook is consistency with the Pokemon series because it's been anything but consistent. And I think that all started with black and white. So you get a third version up to this point. Red, blue, yellow, gold, silver, crystal, ruby, sapphire, you get emerald. Diamond and Pearl, you get Platinum. So every, all four of those generations all got a third version. You get to black and white, and you get the first break in that, in that consistency, which is two versions, black and white to a full sequel. And then everyone jumped on board, including us, that were like, we're getting a version Z, or we're getting X2Y2, or we're getting XYZ, we're getting something... And we didn't get anything. And we got Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. And not only did not did we not get a sequel slash third version, but we got Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire with new Mega Pokemon. And while that doesn't expand the Pokedex, it is clear that Pokemon, as a company, it was clear that they added new Pokemon. I know that they weren't in the Pokedex, but those were all new designs. Those, like Mega Beedrill, Mega Pidgeot, uh, Mega Latios and Latio, Latias. Mega Slowbro, dude. You could say that they're not new Pokemon, and I agree with you because they don't fill a Pokedex number, but there's still an amount of care. There's still an amount of thoughtfulness that goes into giving a Pokemon a Mega form. Like, that's just not done all willy-nilly. Which then comes to Sun and Moon, which made me believe that they already tested the waters with Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. It didn't seem to like get anyone upset. It seemed to be a good change. And I don't think without a couple new Pokemon that this game would probably sell as well as they want it to. Oh, oh definitely not. Yeah, if it was if it was no new Pokemon, they would get half the sales of Sun and Moon. People would be like, I I have no need for this game. There's nothing about gameplay. It's going to draw me into this game. And, and you have to think of what is the selling point to Pokemon games. Yeah, there are definitely people that will buy every Pokemon game. They'll go through it. But if you're giving me a slightly different story on a game I just played less than a year ago, keep in mind that this game is coming out one day less than a year ago. It's the fastest, I'm pretty sure the fastest main series game to come out. Sun and Moon already has a pretty small Pokedex. What is the real selling point to get people to buy this game? Not to mention, they have already had a difficult time selling a third version of the game. Not even Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire sold as well as Generation... I don't think it sold better than X and Y, and I'm pretty confident on that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but... Well, too much water, but go on. (laughs) Too much water, yeah. 
Well, I like to stay available for the VGC competitive meta, so that's what keeps me going and breeding competitive teams. But, you know, everybody's got their different approach to Pokemon. Some people don't like to battle their Pokemon, so there you go. The big question now, Will, is do you think they're going to add... Do you, th- do you think these are the only two, or do you think there's going to be a couple more? There will be a couple more. It is September. It is not no- the first week of November. So, yes, they're going to be trickling in at least three more. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. If if you're going to do two Pokemon, you're going to do more. If, if this was their big hurrah into the holiday season of just two new Ultra Beasts to sell your game, I don't think that's enough. Uh, the other question then, Will, are we going to get more Alolan forms and are they going to be Generation 2 based? I think if we were going to get more Alolan forms, we might have, they, they would have included them as part of this Nintendo Direct. I don't. I think it's a no on Alolan forms, right? Ultra Beasts we can bring in because they portal in from some other dimension. So it's like, yeah, there's a reason why we didn't see them on the islands before. Other Alolan forms, it would be that really poor quality explanation that Black Two and White Two gave us of, boy, it's we've had a lot more different Pokemon showing up in the past five years. Five years. No, no. Uh, yeah, five years. I'm, I'm not seeing it. I, th- I think they're trying to be more, a little more realistic now with this gen. Do about... you need realistic in a Pokemon world? I mean, I could see them doing Alolan. I, I feel like new Alolan forms. I need them to not push my suspension of disbelief to such an extent <laughs> that it breaks. That's what I need. I think new Alolan forms would benefit the game. It also doesn't pad the Pokedex number. And I don't think it would hurt the game in any way. I think it would be more fun to have new Pokemon in different forms. Like Alolan Ninetales is really cool. Honestly, more than Alolan forms, what I want is a return to Kanto, an opportunity to get on an airplane and fly to Kanto and I don't I think we're at that point. Pokemon's there. We're at that point where that's never gonna happen. They can sell us they can sell us regions. They don't have to give us free regions. <laughs> they don't you know have to give us free regions. You know that's true. I do know that's true. I I mean, I can want anything. What I actually get, <laughs> you know, is completely different. Uh so the 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 rock rough is there in the in the video as well. Dusk form, lichen rock is the thing. We've talked about that. Uh th- an interesting thing I want to point out is Rock Ruff Rock Ruff's Pokedex number in the current Sun and Moon games is 103. That's the Alola regional dex number. It's National Dex number is 744. That number never changes, as we know. In the YouTube video, Rockref's Alolan Dex number is 126. It has changed. It went what? Up to- Why didn't you tell me that before? I, I yeah, I like to put you on the spot. So it went up. Well, obviously tw- that means we're getting more Pokemon. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, that that that's the only that's the only thing. We have to be getting way more Pokemon if they are going to move Rockruff. 23 numbers in the decks. You're such a scammer. I can't trust you at all anymore. Some people say I don't play Pokemon. Some people say I don't know much. I do a little research. If you had told me to do some research, I'm just so disappointed right now. (laughs) What are your thoughts on these two new Ultra Beasts? Give Give me the Will Anderson 101. All right. So Burst is terrible. Burst is the... One that looks like a clown, and it takes its head and throws it at you, and then the head explodes into a bunch of little dots. 
because it bursts. It and it not not only does it look like a clown, it doesn't even look like a cool Mr. Mime clown. It just looks like a horrible circus clown that throws its head at you. That's weird and gross. It's not a cool ultra beast. It's like it's like the circuitry, circuitry of this gen's ultra beasts. <laughs> it's just terrible. Um What is it? Assembly? I'm sorry, what is it based on? Who? Burst. What is it? What do you mean what is it based on? Like what is it? It looks like a clown. Like like an old style cuz it has that like weird like Elizabethan collar like the clowns used to have and it's all like bright pastel colors. So it's like dancing around and I mean it kind of like, reminds me of like dipping dots, but No. I can't say this Pokémon's name. Nialego? Nialago? Nialego is a jellyfish. Buzzwall is a mosquito. Faramosa is what a roach. Uh, yep. Zerkatry is copper wiring. I don't know what is zerkatry. A tree? Yeah, it's like ele- like electric electricity. Celesila is bamboo. Steel steel uh, bamboo. Is, wait, is Celesila the one that's like a rocket? Yeah, it has like two no. floating bamboo arms, and then like a Cartana uh, <laughs> is like a paper cut. Well, it's a sword. Yeah, but it's like thin like paper. And Guzzlord is just awesome. I don't know what Guzzlord is. I don't know what that's based off of either. Like Guzz, whole, Guzzlord a reminds big me old of, mouth. Reminds me of like a, a eater of worlds, like a black hole almost. Yeah. No, Burst Burst is like a circus clown. It's it's just like a, a super creepy circus clown. Like when it throws its head, it's like a firework explosion. Yeah, stop throwing your head. That's that's not something nice people do. Okay, so then we have UB Assembly, which is the, it's like a legendary Dusclops. There's a bunch of eyes that um, flip. Yeah, it's kind of like also like Rampardos or uh, Bastiodon too. It kind of has that vibe to it. Guzzlord may be based off a black hole. It also resembles a crab. Wow. Okay, I can see. I can see the crab. Yeah. Cartana I, is based I, on origami and a samurai. Yeah, I got that. It's sharp, paper-like quality. Maybe a reference to paper cuts. Thanks, Bulbapedia, for being on the same page as me. Celestela is based on Princess Kayugia from the Tale of the Bamboo Cutter. Whoa, whoa, whoa back up here. Tale of the Bamboo Cutter is a Japanese fiction containing Japanese folklore. Okay, you you throw the word folklore in. I'm I'm on board. Now you stop listening to lore. Yeah, that's true. Not enough Pokemon references. Zerkatry appears to be based on a humanoid structure of sparking electric wires and power lines. It is a corruption of circuitry and tree. All right. Faramosa is based on the American cockroach. That uh, was pretty easy. Why, why are cockroaches American? Cockroaches are worldwide, folks. Buzzwall is based on a mosquito and a bodybuilder. That's right. Bang, clanging and banging. Clanging and banging. And Nialigo is inspired by a jellyfish, especially the Aralera Arteria. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also called the common jellyfish, or the moon jellyfish, or the moon jelly, or the saucer jelly. The animal of many names, I suppose. Oh, man. Okay. I'm getting into Chinese now. I'm getting real excited. Okay. 
I don't know if like when when UB Burst shows up, if it's going to say based on the American Clown. I don't think that's what's going to be written with. No, it's a classic clown. I'm. Do you what? Do you need me to send you a photo of like a super creepy classic clown? No. Because I've got one up that looks very much like this UB Burst. All right, classic clown. That's that's what'll be written on Bulbapedia. Especially with the with the Elizabeth and collar, so that's what you got, dude. But do you like these two? Yeah, I mean, you didn't seem like you liked Burst, but what about Assembly? I, I don't like Burst. I like Assembly. What about the word Ultra Beast? So in this trailer, it said, so the trailer started, it said new Pokemon, and then it showed these two Ultra Beast. And from what we, we know from the past year, the Pokemon company has never put the word Pokemon and the word Ultra Beast in the same sentence. Or even in the same ballpark. No, it's a whole new world we live in. So Ultra Beasts <laughs> are, they're finally recognizing them as Pokemon. Pokemon. So, I mean, you catch them in Beast Balls, yes. But they're still, guess what? Beast Balls are actually Pokeballs. And you can store them in the PC. What, what, what makes a Pokemon a Pokemon if not the ability to be kept in a ball and stored in a PC? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, I think it just... Ultra Beast is just another word like legendary or like mythical. Yes. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. These are Pokemon from another dimension where the typing is all screwy and doesn't follow what we would expect from looking at them. When are they going to reclassify Deoxys as an Ultra Beast? Because is it not an Ultra Beast? It's not from another dimension. It's from outer space. All right. You don't know that. You don't know if it came from another dimension and just plopped into space first. It didn't come from an ultra wormhole. So now with that attitude, there you go. Well, that's my attitude. And for the record, Deoxys is actually a mythical Pokemon. I learned this the other day. It's not a legendary. No, it's it's Deoxys and Darkrai are mythical. Interesting. Okay, let's let's finish off this press release. Yeah, very exciting though. This is all very exciting. Uh, fans who purchase their game before January 10th, 2018 will receive an in-game special early purchase gift, Rockruff, that can evolve into the new Duskform Lycanroc, and will know different moves depending on which version of the game you buy. In Pokemon Ultra Sun, it will know the move Firefang. In Pokemon Ultra Moon, it will know the move Thunderfang. This special ro Rockruff will be distributed holding a focus band and will know the move Happy Hour, which will allow you to go to a TGI Fridays and get half price off appetizers. An exclusive Z move for Lycanroc has been revealed. Splintered Storm Shards. This new Z move, Z t move, which is rock type, can be remove various effects from the terrain and can be used by having a Lycanroc learn the move Stone Edge and then have it holding a special Z crystal, Lycanium Z. All three Lycanroc midday form, midnight form, and rock form can use splintered storm shards. And I also believe the one other thing to note is that um, happy hour, if you use that as a Z move rather than your Lycanroc special Z move, uh, it is Z happy hour raises all of your stats by one stage. If you get excited for a semi-competitive rock rough, there you go. Also, happy hour does not give you half off apps at your local Applebee's. It well, I mean, they already have like all you can eat apps, right? <laughs> you receive I, twice as much. This is not a much, restaurant I go to. Tw twice as much prize money after a battle. Uh, and then finally, on September 22nd, the Nintendo 3DS Virtual Console titles, Pokemon Gold version and Pokemon Silver version, will be released worldwide on the Nintendo eShop 
Fans who purchase either version will receive a special code that will grant them the mythical Pokemon Celebi in Pokemon Sun, Pokemon Moon, Pokemon Ultra Sun, or Pokemon Ultra Moon video games. Special themes for these games will also be available for fans who purchase gold version or silver version by January 15th. So if you're missing Celebi, you can spend $9.99 and get yourself Celebi. Uh, and also get yourself an old game. that A good classic video game. That doesn't have running shoes. And it's a real slog to go through. When when are these virtual console games coming out on the Switch? Hopefully sooner rather than later, because I don't want to buy Didn't... a single game on my 3DS anymore. All right, that'll sum up our news here. Some more Ultra Beast stuff, which is pretty cool. November 17th, the release of the game. They showed a new beach area. They showed Pikachu Valley, I think they're calling it. They showed some new clothes, but nothing nothing that we need to spend 20 minutes talking about. So we'll take a quick break. We'll then jump to our interview with Ray Rizzo. Then when we come back, we'll just do like one or two emails, and then we'll do our Pokemon of the week. So we will be right back. Space virus. Alien invasion. That's it. That's it. That's And we are back from our break. And we are here with arguably the world's best VGC Pokemon player. Like, that has to be true, right? (laughs) Uh, If that's what you want to call it, hey, I won't complain. (laughs) Ray Rizzo, three-time world champion. How are you, man? Pretty good. How about yourself? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I have a million questions, uh, but before we begin, uh, who are you? And tell me about your Pokemon life. All right, uh, so for those who don't know me, my name is Ray Rizzo. Uh, I'm the Pokemon World Champion in 2010, 2011, and 2012. Uh, I started first playing Pokemon with around when every 90s kid uh, started playing, as soon as Red and Blue came out. been playing ever since, although I did take a break during third gen. Uh, but I came back for Diamond and Pearl. I thought the Wi-Fi edition was really cool. And then I entered my first tournament in 2008, and couple years later ended up winning worlds so it's been an incredible journey for me through pokemon so uh i've got to experience a lot travel a number of places meet a number of great friends so uh it's definitely been an incredible game for what it's brought to my life more recent stuff you have been uh, an official commentator for the game is that correct Yep, so the past two years I've been doing commentary for all of the official tournaments, so uh, you may have seen me doing Worlds this past year, uh, even some of the smaller events, U.S. Nationals, some of the regional tournaments. It's been definitely a lot of fun uh, and challenging in a different way, uh, doing commentary rather than playing. It's a totally different skill set, but it's still uh, really cool to kind of give back to the community and do my best to try and provide some good analysis during the games and make the games more enjoyable uh, to watch because that's what's going to help grow the game. And at this point in my life, that's what I'm most passionate about. So 
it was fun to be able to do that. For just getting into the game and everything, what made you go down that route of competitive Pokemon? Was it just because you loved the initial battle system in Pokemon, or or were, were there other competitive things in your life that you gravitated towards, and Pokemon was just one of many? Yeah, I've always been competitive in everything I've ever attempted. I've always wanted to know get as good as i could at, you know no matter what the game or the hobby was so uh when i was even younger i had played the Yu-Gi-Oh card game i'd go to tournaments for that i mean i was only like 13 so i didn't have the money to get all the cards but i did pretty well with what i had and eventually pokemon came around and i saw people writing reports for some tournaments that they had attended in person and i just thought it was the coolest thing to try and uh, compete at one of these tournaments and Pokemon was no different it was a game that I had loved my whole life so you know it was something I really wanted to work hard to get good at and uh, I was able to achieve that so that's kind of how I ended up in competition I've just always been competitive at, at everything so to step aside from the competitive stuff you said that you were you were right on the right on the train with red and blue now, nowadays, because it's been 20 plus years of Pokemon, do you go through the entire story of the game or do you just kind of get access to the battling part? Yeah, nowadays I'll play through the game once uh, just because some of the new games, I mean, they're they're a lot different now. So it's it's kind of fun going through them. But there have definitely been times when I was still a competitor where I wouldn't really bother going through the games. Uh, most memorably, Black and White 2. I mean... I just couldn't force myself to go through it. I tried. I got like three badges, and then I just couldn't do it anymore. And, <laughs> I mean, I'd already played through Black and White 1, and it just seemed like there was nothing about the game that was different that made me want to play through it again. So I just got as far as I needed to to be able to, to battle, and, and that was it. But yeah, most of the games I'll play through at least once. Uh, I won't really go in, in into any of the you know, hardcore kind of in-game stuff that you can do. Like, I know some of them you can battle the Elite Four, like, you know, multiple times, and their levels and Pokemon will change. I, I won't bother with that. I'll just beat it once, and, and that's about it. Are there other aspects of the Pokemon franchise that you care or don't care about? Like, watching the anime, playing the trading card game, maybe even playing Pokemon Go? Or is it just main game... Competitive battling. Yeah, for me, it's mainly the main game uh, and competitive battling. I've, I mean, as a kid who didn't watch the anime growing up, I, I know I watched you know every episode that came on TV that I could. Um, and then Pokemon Go, when it first came out, I played that for a couple months, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely made me get some exercise, which was cool. Um, and it was a really, really cool concept as well. So I did play that for a couple months. And some of the kind of spin-off games I've played as well, like Pokemon Conquest, I think that might have been... Yeah, I was really surprised by that game. I thought it was a lot of fun, even though it was a spin-off and wasn't, you know, really Pokemon. It was still a lot of fun using familiar characters, and it was still a strategy kind of game. So uh, some of the spin-offs as well I'll play, but for the most part, it's really only the main game and competitive battling, just because I, really I really enjoy the team-building aspect. I really enjoy the mental side of the game where it's just one person versus one person you're trying to outsmart the other and to me that's just the most enjoyable part because there's not many other games that are like that and so i just try and play that as much as i can uh so going full into the competitive stuff because that's what you're known for that's what you're really good at um how does how does somebody get into the vgcs i feel like with 802 pokemon and hundreds of abilities, hundreds of moves. 
how where do you even start yeah it's a really good question because uh you're right it is it does seem uh you know when you're a new player it seems very challenging trying to learn as much as you can about those pokemon there's so much you need to absorb uh, so much information you need to gather. I know when I first started, it was back in Diamond and Pearl, and I had skipped the entire third generation, so I didn't know, you know, a single one of those uh, those third gen Pokemon at the time. Plus, I didn't know any of the Pokemon in Diamond and Pearl. You know, a lot had changed since Generation Two, uh, so I was pretty much learning from scratch. So what I did was I kind of scrolled through all of the Pokemon, you know, all the Pokemon that I would encounter while I was playing in game. And just look those Pokemon up, see what they would do, see what their stats were, what their typing was, see if I could think of any cool things that really stood out about the Pokemon, whether it was specific move combos or something. And then from there, I just hopped right into battling. Uh, I knew that I wouldn't be able to build my own team very well because I was brand new. I had no idea what to expect. So I looked online, saw somebody else's team just so I could, you know, use that and get a feel for what other players we're using uh, while having a solid enough team to use on my own and kind of get used to to the whole battling and competitive aspect of it. So I did that. Didn't really win a whole lot of games, but I wasn't really expecting to. I was brand new. So I kept doing that, uh, maybe trying, you know, new teams every week or so that somebody had posted online. And then eventually after, you know, hundreds and hundreds of battles, I start to notice patterns of what Pokemon are commonly used, what movesets are common on those Pokemon, what items are common, etc. And then I can try and build my own team. Uh, so I did that, and of course the very first team I built didn't do very well at all, <laughs> uh, which again is pretty expected when you're brand new, uh, and you can't get down on yourself for that, because uh, it does take time to learn all, that, all the different Pokemon and different metagame trends and everything and just get used to it. So it does take a while, um, but really with practice, I mean... If you get enough practice, you're going to be right up there, you know, with the better half of uh, all the competitive players and certainly capable of going pretty deep in a regional, getting some championship points out of it. Uh, and then the end goal is to top cut. And, you know, after a couple of months of practice, usually players are at the level where they're able to achieve that. So uh, definitely not something, if you're new out there and wanting to get into VGC, not something that you should you know, really hesitate with. Um, I would get right in there, do some battling on battle spot or showdown even, just to get some practice, uh, get familiar with the competitive scene. And then, you know, once you start winning some matches and feeling more confident, you can start to go to a tournament, even if you're, you know, not really expecting yourself to win or anything, it's still a great experience. And, you know, you might do better than expected and, and really learn some valuable lessons from it or meet some really incredible people as well. So, that would be my best advice, uh, just practicing, getting a whole bunch of battles done, and eventually just attending one of these tournaments and really seeing where you're at. How much do you personally prep, this is probably a loaded question, but how much do you prep and train before one of these big tournaments? I can't imagine that before each one of your championship wins, you just put in like two hours that week and then called it a day. I Probably like consistently yeah. battling. Yeah, so back uh, in... The years that I was really competing at the highest of levels, um, you know, I'd be playing the entire year uh, from the start that the rules were announced for the year. I'd be playing all the way leading up to Worlds, you know, almost every day. I'd be playing for like an hour or two uh, just to, you know, I was still, uh, I think I had just graduated high school at the time. So I had a lot of free time, both 
between high school and college, you have a long summer. And then your first couple of years of college, you know, you don't really have too many responsibilities. Uh, you have a lot of free time and your classes are usually easier. So uh, I took that time to just get a whole bunch of battles done throughout the year. Uh, even in the years 2011 and 2012, where I had my invite locked up from winning the previous year, I would still play the entire year and follow all the metagame trends and just try out as many different strategies as I could, uh, which ended up paying off because some of the strategies that I had tested out in the very first month after the game came out had been a strategy that I ended up using on my Worlds team. So, you know, I definitely did practice a lot back then, um, played a lot of games, tested as many different strategies as I could. And like you said, it definitely pays off doing that. So, Yeah, speaking, speaking of metas, it changes every year, depending on game, depending on new, what new Pokemon, Megas, Z-moves. Uh, you've seen it all. Is there, a, is there a meta that stood out that you just really enjoyed? And opposite question, is there a meta specific year that you just didn't enjoy at all? Yeah, I, I enjoyed the older VGC years. I really liked Generation 4 double battles. I think those were probably my favorite. So back 2008, 2009, uh, 2010... Those are probably my favorite years. I felt like there was a real lot of balance in the format with how many Pokemon were were good. You could use so many different strategies, so many different kinds of teams, and I always thought that was really, really cool, and I do miss that. There were no gems, there were no Z-moves, no Megas, so there wasn't anything that was just incredibly powerful that could deal so much damage in a single turn. So it was. It did seem like it was a lot more strategy and skill-based. Um, if you switched in on a resisted hit, you were going to take it pretty comfortably. So if you could predict your opponents well, then you know, you'd be taking very minimal damage. But the game def definitely kind of changed after 4th gen, and it got a lot more offensive starting with the addition of gems. And so even if you predicted attacks right and switched like a steel type like Metagross into a Dragon Gem Draco Meteor, if it critical hits you, you still die in one shot, even though you resist it and you're super bulky. So same thing with some of the Megas, Kangaskhan, really, really powerful. Uh, Mega Salamence, Mega Charizard Y, a number of really powerful Megas. Z-moves are very similar, um, that they're just so, so powerful, similar to gems. Although there is a big difference that Protect works a little differently with Z-moves, which I really like that interaction. So you can bypass Protect with the Z-moves and do a little bit of chip damage, but you burn your Z-move going into protect whereas with the gems if they protected it didn't waste your gem so then you would just fire off your really powerful attack the following turn and of course you can only have one z move on a team so it is a little more balanced than gems but i still prefer kind of generation four uh, more than the more recent generations where there's a lot more heavy offense and a lot more damage that these pokemon can do for the selection of pokemon again i, th I think the pokedex is at 802 uh, well, actually, probably 804 with the two new Pokemon that just got announced, the two new Ultra Beasts. But for you personally, do you choose Pokemon that you like, or are you specifically Pokemon that are strategically good? So it it totally depends on what the tournament I'm entering in is. If it's Worlds, um, I'm going to use what Pokemon I think I'm going to win with. Uh, now, some of those might be Pokemon that I really, really like and Pokemon that I think are really cool. Um you know, maybe throughout the year I had just decided to test a Pokemon because I thought it was really cool. Um, I know in 2011 I used Pokemon that were just so obscure. One of them got declined uh, an analysis on Smogon because it was just deemed so useless. And But I thought it was a cool Pokemon and I had tested it and I was like, man, this Pokemon is actually good. 
And so there are instances of that where I'm just testing a Pokemon I like or think is cool and then ends up being good, and so I, I fit it on my team. But for the most part, I'm using what I think is going to win uh, at Worlds because it's the biggest tournament of the year, and uh, I really, really want to try and win that. So I always give it my all for that tournament. Some of the smaller tournaments, like a regional or premier challenge or even just online play, then I'm a lot more flexible with what I'll use. I'll, I'll use uh, Pokemon that I like or Pokemon that I think are cool. Um, just because the tournaments are a lot more frequent, they're not as high scale as something like a Worlds where everything's on the line. Uh, totally depends on the tournament to answer your question. As for like other players in the game, are there things that you see in your competitors that that comes across as like really respectful, or things that other players do that kind of like rub you the wrong way? I mean, you're seeing and anyone competing are are seeing a variety of different pokemon players and different skill levels and that that has a overall effect on how you feel for the day or how how you go about the rest of the day i mean it, it even comes down to like oh this player is doing this and they're doing this because it annoys me and this is going to throw me off my game but overall just like both respectful wise and you know not respectful yeah so i can answer both parts of that question uh i'll start with um, anything that annoys me, nothing really. Um, players are usually very sportsmanlike, and really the only thing I could see being annoying would be uh, any players who just talk nonstop during the battle, but that really doesn't get to me at all. I just zone it out. Once I'm in the battle, there's really nothing that my opponent can say or do that's really going to have any effect on me. Uh, I'm totally focused and zoned in on the battle, so uh, there really isn't anything that I've ever encountered or seen that, that would annoy me during the matches, but uh, maybe something like a player just talking, you know, every single turn, trying to talk to your opponent, try and play some mind games like that could be considered annoying to some players, but uh, I just I just zone it out so that doesn't bother me. Um, when it comes to things that I really respect in players, I can even name an example. Uh, I've always tried to be a very sportsmanlike player, and I've always enjoyed seeing just how sportsmanlike Pokemon players are. Uh, so in 2011 at Worlds in the top four. Uh, my match against Ruben from Spain, he had the game 100% won. Back then, the, there used to be a timer. Uh, the timer rules were a little different from now. Uh, there was even a, a part in the rules that really said that timer stalling, you know, it didn't flat, it didn't explicitly say that it wasn't allowed, but it said that, you know, it was considered unsportsmanlike and you could receive a penalty for it, but there was really no way to prove that, so... Some players would timer stall, some players wouldn't. Um, I was always on the side of, of not timer stalling back then, but uh, of course, after that year, it changed and you could timer stall. You know, it, it explicitly would say in the rules that you can use as much time as you're allocated every turn. So eventually, it, it there was no gray area. It became, you know, totally legal to do that. But back then, it was still kind of a gray area. So in 2011, in that top four match, my opponent had the game totally won. Uh, if he just waited, you know, the full minute or however long you have allocated and just protected with both of his Pokemon. And I had the match 100% won if there was no timer because I I had I was had faster Pokemon that could KO both of his Pokemon with 100% accurate moves. And uh, he decided not to, to timer stall and he let me take the win and I ended up winning the match there 2-0. So uh, that was definitely one moment of sportsmanlike that... My opponent didn't have to do that. We were deep in the tournament, and you know he could have timer stalled and, and won that way, uh, but he didn't. And then in 2012, the following year at Worlds, uh, in the top eight, my match against Junpei from Japan, 
I was in an identical situation, but on the reverse side where I had two Pokemon against one, but he had a faster Garchomp that could just Earthquake and KO both of my Pokemon in one turn and win the game. Uh, but there were only like 40 seconds left, so all I had to do was wait the entire 40 seconds and just click Protect, and, and I'd have won the the game, and that would have actually won me the match because I had won the first game. Uh, but I ended up, you know, just letting the game play out and uh, didn't hit Protect, didn't Timer Storm, and ended up losing because of a Sand Veil evade by his Garchomp, but uh, ended up winning game three, so it all worked out anyway, but... Definitely, I've seen multiple players do that as well, where back then they, they didn't want a timer stall, just it was written in the rules as unsportsmanlike, and players just didn't really feel comfortable with themselves doing it, and uh, you know, I really respected that. Amazing stories. Before I lose my train of thought, are there specific rules to the VGCs that you would personally want to see changed? Uh, as in, like, Pokemon or moves or stuff being allowed? Yeah, pretty much, you know... Yeah. Anything you um, could think of, like I, I would assume, if we if it was still a gem heavy format, it sounds like you would you would not want gems to be in the game. Yeah, luckily Pokemon took them out of the game before I could ever suggest something like that. So it seemed like they knew that they were pretty powerful and decided to get rid of them. Um, but probably similar to this format where Megas got banned, I'd probably like to see that again. Um, not a huge fan of, of the Megas. Z moves as well. I don't. Not a huge fan, but of course they're. Pokemon's never going to take them out, so I uh, kind of got to live with them. But I would suggest no C-moves, no gems. I don't, I'm not a big fan of some of the legendaries like Cresselia, Landorus, Tarion form that are just so so much better than all of their competition. You know, I'd be totally okay with the legends if they, the specific legends weren't just better than their competition. But when it comes to ground types and... Landorus is just better than everything. It has better typing than all the other ground types. It has a better ability than all the other ground types in Intimidate. And then it has the stats to back it up being a legend. So, uh, you know, I don't have any problem with legendaries like Zapdos or Suicune or, you know, any legendaries like that where they totally compete with other electric types or water types or, or any similar Pokemon. But Landorus just seems to outclass every single other ground type. And Cresselia seems to outclass every single other... Trick Room setting Psychic type because it's just so bulky. Great ability, great move set. Uh, so there are certain legendaries that I, I don't like seeing just because I feel they centralize the game. But uh, those would be my suggestions. Some of the legends, megas, Z moves. Other than that, you know, I, I like uh, just a standard format uh, rather than a format like 2016 where we saw Kyogre, Groudon, Rayquaza, Xerneas. Uh, back in 2010. I thought that format was great because all of the legends were of equal power level and they all won major tournaments. So there were, I think, like 17 legends at the time and 16 of them were really good and they were all equally powerful. Whereas last year, or uh, 2016, it was more like there were four or five legends that were powerful and then all the rest, and you never saw them. Nobody used Kyurem, no, nobody really used Mewtwo. It was a lot different uh, back then versus now because some of the legends were just so much better than others that uh, not really a fan of that format. So that would be my other suggestion not to go back to a format like that. Yeah. Does that does that bother you that there isn't there that we've seen in past years? There hasn't been variety. I think it was 2015 that everyone had Mega Kangaskhan, like all top eight people had Mega Kangaskhan. And then I think they also shared like 
Garchomp and yeah, does that like kind of ruin some of the enjoyment for you, or is it just kind of like, ugh, it's it's just these six Pokemon, or it's just these ten Pokemon people are using? Yeah, it gets uh, kind of boring, especially uh, now that I'm kind of older and I've already accomplished pretty much everything I ever set out to do in the game. So uh, I'm looking back at more of a more of a spectator uh, with what I want to see. Uh, when I'm watching these games or commentating these games and seeing the same teams does get pretty repetitive and pretty boring. I can understand uh, there is still a lot of skill in it, even if the variety is low, because there's a lot of ways you can differentiate the Pokemon in your team when it comes to movesets or items or how they're EV trained. Uh, So there's still a ton of skill in those formats. It's just as a spectator, uh, as a commentator, I can see why those formats wouldn't be desired because they can get very repetitive, very boring seeing the same Pokemon over and over, uh, which we did see exactly as you said in 2015. We saw uh, extremely similar teams dominate all of the top eight at Worlds that year. Uh, 2016, uh, we did see uh, Wolf, Marcus, Billa all use the same team, which was very creative uh, at the time, and it was a great metagame call because uh, it just dominated what everybody else had used. But up until that point, the entire rest of the year, we saw very, very similar teams uh, that everybody else had been using. So uh, it does get a little repetitive and a little boring in those formats. This year, uh, I think it might have been one of the highest variety top cuts that we've seen at Worlds in, in recent memory. So that's definitely something good to be said about this format. Uh, there are still some other things that you know a lot of players don't really like as much when it comes to centralization some pokemon just flat out being better than others but still i definitely prefer the variety from a spectator perspective from a commentator perspective Um, but sometimes as a player you do kind of like the formats that don't have as much variety because you're able to prepare for it better like we did see uh, wolf and marcus and billa able to just break the format uh, because they know what everybody else is using so they can come up with some really unique idea to break the format uh, so as a player, sometimes that is desirable, but since I've been on both sides, I've been a spectator, I've been a commentator, I've been a player, um, I can definitely see the value in having formats that have a lot more variety, for sure. Uh, walk me through your first championship win. Uh, maybe not a lot of people know how well you were doing before that. I don't think most players go from nothing to a win, and then <laughs> another win, and then another win three years in a row, but what was that first win like? Yeah, so my first year was 2008. Uh, I went to the New York City Regional and made top four and ended up qualifying for Worlds that year. Um, Back then, Worlds used to be single elimination, best of one, so completely different than it is now. It was very low scale. The only countries invited were the U.S. and Japan. It was uh, the top 16 from the U.S. and the top 16 from Japan. Uh, But I lost in the first round, so for my first year, I was really excited to win the trip to Worlds and you know, I felt really accomplished, and I learned a whole bunch meeting all the Japanese players and seeing their strategies, because at the time, we were really in the dark to what the Japanese players used um, and what their strategies were like, because I had come from a Smogon singles battle background, um, so this was my first time ever playing doubles, whereas Japan, they've always played doubles ever since Generation 3. So it was really a good experience for me and gave me a lot more motivation. It made me really hungry to get even better because I know I could get better. I knew that I had tons of room to improve. Um, So I set out the entire next year really practicing hard, 
Uh, unfortunately, there was a lottery to compete that year at all the different regionals, and I never got a chance to actually compete. So that actually left me really, really uh, bummed out. I was really upset I didn't even get a chance to see how much I improved from the previous year and how much I've learned. And I had played poker at the time uh, online, and I had been doing really well. Uh, you know, it was something that I I was making some decent money doing, and I really enjoyed playing. Um, and again, that was another strategy game, a lot of math and and reading skills. Um, but I ended up giving it one more chance. I told myself, okay, if they have a lottery again next year and I don't get a chance to play, then I'm just done with competitive Pokemon. But luckily they did get rid of the lottery, and so everybody who showed up at the regional got a chance to play. Um, and I ended up top-cutting and then making it to Nationals, top-cutting there and making it to Worlds. Uh, so I got my chance to see how much I had improved, and I ended up winning the whole thing. So uh, while I still knew, even after winning Worlds the first time, I knew uh, after seeing how many good players were at that tournament that I could still improve even more. You know, I was still really, really excited to win, and it was an incredible feeling, but I, I knew that I was still quote-unquote a noob. So uh, I thought that I could train even harder and get even better, uh, and that kind of motivation just inner motivation, inner desire to really be the best that I could be when I know that I can improve really drove me to win again in 2011 and, and 2012 because I knew I could improve. So I, I, I kept playing. I felt like I could achieve even more. And that kind of motivation really uh, drove me to success. What's what's the behind the scenes like for winning a Pokemon game? Are you just like pulled aside? Here is your reward. We'll see you next <laughs> year. Like. Yeah, so <laughs> as soon as I won, you know, all my friends would rush up to the stage, uh, lift me up, hug me. Uh, back then, you know, it, it was not really allowed. Nowadays, it definitely wouldn't be allowed. You know, security would shut that down as soon as you got close to the stage. But back then, things are a little different. Uh, you could run past security and get onto the stage to hug me or lift me up on the stage or whatever. So that was, you know, cool seeing all my friends support me like that. Uh, but then as soon as the battle ends, you go backstage and you don't see any of your friends for the next hour or two hours. You're pulled aside doing pictures with all kinds of different uh, media outlets, interviews with all the different media outlets, you know, not even uh, English speaking or American uh, media outlets. I did all kinds of interviews for all kinds of foreign websites or newspapers or magazines or whatever. Uh, and so it was really cool, the the whole experience backstage after winning. The only one, the only fellow players with you were your opponent in the finals and then in the little kid divisions. Those are the only uh, fellow Pokemon players you get a chance to talk to for the next two hours. Uh, you got tons of uh, photo ops and and that kind of stuff. So but after that's all done, your friends are still there in uh, the stadium or convention center or wherever, uh, and they're waiting for you and taking pictures of everything happening. So once it ends, you get to go out and celebrate with them. So it's a really cool experience. Um, it's probably not something I'll ever get to experience again, but I'm definitely glad and grateful that I've been able to multiple times because it's... It's not something that everybody gets to experience. So, and and if I'm not mistaken, you plan on competing after well this this upcoming season? Is that? Yep, yep. I booked uh, flights to 
a number of different tournaments, uh, Vancouver, London, Dallas. Uh, so I definitely plan on competing again this year. Uh, I'll be going for the world's invite this year now that the championship point kind of barrier to qualify for worlds is lower and the increased payouts uh, at regionals this year, not only in championship points, but prize money as well. So uh, if you are uh, new to VGC, this is definitely a good year to try and get started. They've made it very, very doable to qualify for Worlds, um, if that's your goal. Um, so I'm excited to get back into it. I haven't competed in years. I haven't competed since 2014, really. Uh, I've been doing commentary ever since. Uh, so watching all the battles from that side has definitely given me the desire to at least try and compete again for another year, see how I do. I know I'm definitely washed up right now, but maybe by the end of the year, if I can qualify for Worlds, hopefully by the time Worlds gets here, I'm back in my old form and able to do pretty well. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. <laughs> I want to bring up a, a touchy subject that I've seen a lot of High-level players usually ignore if it's on Reddit or Twitter-related or in interviews, but, you know, cheating in Pokemon. Uh, and that and everyone seems to have a different line of that, but more specifically, starting off with people who RNG, where's your stance on that opposed to the other people who are breeding four IV dittos with five IV dittos and trying to get that to six IV dittos and then breeding that with, you know, whatever Pokemon they plan on using, Zipstrika or something, and then doing this long road to get, quote-unquote, a real Pokemon versus somebody who is gaming the system to get a perfect IV shiny Pokemon that's ready to go in, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, so back uh, back in the day, it used to be a lot different. Nowadays... I mean, even if you do things completely legally, you get your Pokemon in, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, it's extremely fast now that uh, more IVs from your parents get passed down uh, as you breed, especially with how they changed the Destiny Knot. Now you can pass down five IVs, which is all you really need. So if you have, you know, pretty good parents, like, it's going to be really, really quick to get uh, the baby that you need. Uh, and then with legendaries as well, now that they have bottle caps, you know, you just have to catch your legendary with the right nature, uh, or if it needs something like a hidden power, then it can take a little bit longer, but uh, it gets extremely easy to put your team together. When I was putting my team together uh, for London in, in this past year, uh, it's pretty much the only tournament that I've competed at in the past, I don't know, maybe like two or three years, but... Uh, I got my team maybe in like a day or a day and a half, and the game had only been out for a few weeks. It was just so easy to do everything legally. So uh, I think that's what most players do nowadays. Um, back then, uh, we did used to have something called RNG where uh, it wasn't cheating, but you could uh, pretty much time when you either catch uh, the legendaries or breed your Pokemon. Um, there used to be somebody made some kind of program where you would enter in uh, your game uh, trainer name, or not trainer name, trainer ID, and it would be able to calculate like, okay, take the egg after waiting eight minutes and two seconds and you'll get flawless IVs. And uh, you would be able to do that. So uh, that was always within the rules. Um, I think most players did that. Some players didn't like that it wasn't any more up to chance. It was just okay, time what time you receive your egg or catch your legend and you can get it. 
um, get the Pokemon that you need. But I don't even know if that still exists anymore. Uh, if it does, it's even slower than doing things legally just because of how fast it is. So, yeah, I don't even know if people still do that. And then you have uh, what everybody complains about, like actual uh, cheating where you, uh, what is it, like Pokehex or whatever, and, and get your Pokemon that way. Um, I don't know if too many people still do that anymore just because of how easy it is to get. Um, back in the day, I think a lot more people did it because it was a lot more difficult. But one of the things I had always done, I always tried to get my Pokemon legitimately. Um, all the Pokemon I bred myself were always legitimate. And then some Pokemon I have to get from friends. And I'd always, uh, you know, I, I, I trusted them, but I'd always still take them through the hack check online just to make sure that they're legit. Uh, I think there so, was one instance where you had a Pokemon with a move it couldn't learn. I'm not remembering nope, it 100%. It was, it was in a Pokeball that it couldn't be caught in. Got uh, it. So since I don't play in-game, um, you know, I, I I didn't even know that this Pokeball couldn't be allowed on it. So I, I still took it through the, the hack check and everything, and uh, it passed, and I was like, okay, I guess this Pokemon's good. And, you know, I, I don't go around inspecting Pokeballs because I don't even know what Pokeballs the Pokemon could be in or not. Sure. And at the time, it wasn't even against the rules, but I still felt really bad. So I, I ended up, once you know I saw my phone blowing up, like people saying, oh, this Pokemon can't be in that Pokeball. I was like, oh, man, you know, it's it was within the rules, but I, I was like, okay, I, I guess I just won't use it anymore this tournament, even though I could have kept using it, but I was just like, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, if people are that upset by it, I, I don't want to keep using it, even if it is you know, totally fine to, to use and within the rules to do that. They've changed it since, uh, so they've actually released, like, what Pokemon can be in what Pokeball, uh, because, uh, you know, a number of people have, have accidentally used Pokemon like that before, so... Because the way it was, was that Pokeballs would get passed down uh, when breeding, and so you couldn't even control it. If you had uh, a parent in a Pokeball that it couldn't be in, you know, and if you just bred that to get a completely legit Pokemon, it would still get that ball passed down, even if the Pokemon that you bred was legit. So uh, I think they realized they didn't want people getting their Pokemon in, in Pokeballs that it couldn't be in, whether it be through trades or the GTS or, or whatever, and have it accidentally get passed down. So I, they decided to change that, put a list together of what Pokemon can be in what ball, and then it's up to you to, to now check uh you know, against the list to make sure you don't use anything against that. So that's pretty much my stance on everything. Um, you know, everybody, there's always a hack check at these tournaments, so you're never going to get away with using anything uh, illegitimate or, you know, anything against the rules that has increased stats or different moves than it can possibly get or anything like that. So, you know, ever dating back to as long as I've even been a part of the scene back in 2008, every single year they've had hack checks to catch cheaters and and it's always worked, so yeah. But that never that never caught RNG stuff. Not that not that there was always a gray area of whether that was you know cheating or not, like we discussed. But I can't say that like I don't know if you agree, but like if somebody went through with an action replay and made their team and then got caught and was like, hey, you can't compete. I can't say that I feel too bad. Nope. If if anybody gets caught doing that and they get DQ'd, um, you know they're probably not going to put up a fight. I mean, they know that they did that and they get appropriately disqualified. Uh, so yeah, I don't really feel any sympathy for, for when that happens. Um, I know I felt real bad, you know, my Pokemon all passed the hack check, but that one Pokemon had the Pokeball it couldn't be in. Um, and even though at the, you know, it was deemed legal, uh, at the time. And 
I still felt bad because other people were getting upset by it. So, um, you know, I know how it feels. Uh, you know, these everybody on the other side making arguments that, you know, all VGC players are cheaters or whatever. That, you know, that, that part is ridiculous. But uh, pretty much, you know, I, I agree with them that you should be playing according to the rules uh, as they're outlined. And, you know, if you're not, then you do deserve to be disqualified. So, Totally. Uh, I got two more questions for you. I think both are both pretty easy. But first one is, what's uh, your most memorable battle that you've had? Most memorable? Hmm. I want to say my final match in 2011 was probably the most memorable because I had won game number one and this was my first attempt at trying to defend my championship. So I had won the year before. Uh, so at the time, I'd only had one championship win. And nobody had ever won two in a row, or even two in total for that matter. So uh, it was something I really, really wanted to accomplish. I had come into the tournament with a really, really unique team uh, that I had spent the entire year really testing. And eventually, I put together a team that I just felt really, really good with. And I was in the finals, won game number one, and then game number two comes and I get haxed really, really badly. Every single Thunder Wave is, you know, making my Pokemon fully paralyzed. Everything that can flinch or get a critical hit, everything seems to not be going my way. Uh, and I end up losing the battle barely. And I've always been somebody mentally very, you know, strong. I've never let, I've never let that kind of stuff get to me. I've never really gone on tilt. Um, and I think it really, really paid off in game number three because I kept a level head and uh, kept going for the same strategy that I went for the per the first two games, knowing that if I don't get unlucky again, you now I can pull off this game three win. And I ended up doing that and defending my title and becoming the first person to win two world championships. And uh, for the amount of effort that I put in that year, it felt really, really good because I had a number of really tough matches in worlds. Um, you know, I even played against Wolf in the top eight, who later became both a world's finalist and a world champion. So I played against some really, really good players, and it felt very good to achieve my goal of becoming a better player, even from the year before where I had won worlds. But uh, to then prove to everybody that, you know, I, I didn't get lucky the year before. You know, I, I am, you know, a good Pokemon player, and being able to defend my title like that. Uh, was was definitely a really good feeling, and that battle was probably the most memorable that I've had. Probably then the hardest question of the whole interview. Uh, what is your favorite Pokemon? Snorlax. He's an OG. He's so cool. I mean, all he does is just sleep and eat. <laughs> and, I mean, he's basically living the life, but then when he wakes up, he's just so powerful. So, uh, you know, definitely a really cool Pokemon. He's always been my favorite ever since uh, Red and Blue. Well, great. Well, I think that's it. I don't want to take too much more of your time, Ray, but uh, for our listeners, where, where can they find you? Where can they follow along with either your, your future commentating spots or your future competitive spots? Yep. So anybody out there interested can catch me on Twitter, at uh, RayRizzoVGC, for any tweets or live updates. Um, and then, of course, I've been making content on YouTube. Uh, again, RayRizzoVGC. So I've been posting a number of battles as I train to make this comeback and try out a whole bunch of different teams and try and get myself back to the level that I used to be at. Uh, so I post my progress there and a whole bunch of battle videos and other kind of guides and content there. 
Uh, and I've also been doing live streaming recently on twitch.tv uh, slash PKMN. Uh, so if you enjoy my commentary from Worlds or Nationals or anywhere you've seen me, um, I am doing live commentary for all the matches I play in and interacting with the different uh, people watching in the chat. So it's a pretty fun time. Uh, but those are the three places that you can find me at. Uh, and I look forward to anybody who wants to uh, come say hi. Thank you so much, Ray. When uh, when we get back from our break, we're going to do our Pokemon of the Week. So we will be right back. Abundance. 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 And we are back from our break. Let's let's do some emails here. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us at sbj at pkmencast.com. Or you can go to PokemonPodcast.com and hit that e- that contact button, which will let you email us that way. Either way, the emails get to us. First email here is from Eric from Washington, D.C. What? Says, hi all, I just started listening to your podcast while at work. I wanted to say thanks so much for creating in- interesting content that will allow my mind to actually work while I do mindless, repetitive work. I have a question for everyone, SBJ, Will, Irene, Micah, do any of you speak foreign languages, and if so, have you played any Pokemon games in foreign languages? I've read Blue, Green, X, Y, and Sun and Moon in Japanese. I also have the Sun and Moon in Spanish, Chinese and Spanish. I find it very interesting how they translate certain words and phrases among the languages. Another related question how do you feel about the English translations of games? I haven't played X or Y or Sun and Moon in English yet, but based on some screenshots, uh, screenshots seen from some English versions, it seems like the translation has come a long way. Thanks so much. Hope everyone is doing well. Eric. Well, Steve, what foreign languages do you speak? Uh, zero. I barely what, speak what English. Foreign language? Yeah, that's true. What foreign languages have you ever studied? One year of Spanish in middle school. Maybe it was maybe it was high school. Maybe it was freshman year. And I did two years of French in high school. AKA I've learned nothing because high school languages cl- language classes are garbage. Wow. They don't so teach I you st- anything. Yeah, that's not true. Um you learn as much as you want to learn. I studied Italian for eight years. I studied French for three years. I studied Portuguese for... Actually, I think that was only two years, but Portuguese is probably my best because I did go to Brazil and I did work at the Brazilian embassy. Obviously, I have a little Spanish just because I live in America and we all need to know a little Spanish, obviously not in Milwaukee, but in other parts of the country, uh, to get by. Um <laughs> <laughs> have I ever played a Pokemon game in a foreign language? No. I'm struggling with Monster Hunter Double Cross in a foreign language. And I, 
I do want to understand what the people in Pokemon games are saying to me without having to hold up my phone for Google Translate to (laughs) poorly translate everything that those people are saying as they go. Oh, man, Google Translate has such a long way to come. Yeah. A long way to go still. I don't know how to word this. I don't really have a lot of weight, and I don't really care that much how how the translation is translated, if that makes sense. I trust that the team whose job it is to localize it is doing the right thing or making it appeal to the audience they're selling it to. So if an American doesn't know what uh, Malasala is and the translation team thinks it's better off to change that to donuts or something else, so they can, you know, sell it to kids better. And when a five-year-old buys it and they know what a donut is and they don't know what a malasala is, I think that, I think that's appropriate. That's so weird since malasadas are an American food sold only in the United States. So, wow. I'm just but giving anyways. you an example. So, so I, yeah, I have a, a different view just because I, at my age, I am able to discern the cultural differences and I would actually like to see... If I could read the Japanese, like what the original Japanese was written, because I think one thing we've learned over time is that localization uh, also tends to be uh, somewhat censorship or um, kind of like making things more, well, almost exactly what you said, making things more palatable. Um, where I would want a more direct exposure to Japanese culture and then how Japanese people would communicate concepts to a in-game child um, and see what they consider to be appropriate for children versus what Americans, who are notoriously uh, very um, puritanical in the, what they are willing to expose children to, uh, are uh, what the localization allows Americans to see. I don't think it really comes down to that, though. I mean, look at like a game... Look at like stuff like Yu-Gi-Oh or Yokai Watch. That's that well, wasn't but the, the really Yokai a- Watch is is very new, right? And that sort of sort of not removing those somewhat what we would consider offensive characters is is a new thing. I don't know what you're saying about Yu-Gi-Oh. I don't know what Yu-Gi-Oh ever did. Existed. That's what it did. <laughs> oh, please! You're talking to a Vanguard player. I could go for hours about how terrible the Yu-Gi-Oh community is, and I'd be wrong because I never played Yu-Gi-Oh. But still. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I like I don't have strong opinions on it either way. But if if you have a if you have if you have a specific team in place that does localization, and these are the best people, one would assume that Pokemon Company could hire. I would assume that they know better than I do in in what should be kept in the game, what shouldn't be kept in the game, what would what would make this enjoyable what wouldn't make this enjoyable i went and then the and what what kind of made me lean that way is i went to a final fantasy 14 panel at pax and the guy was up there and he was talking about how like final fantasy 14 has like a lot of jokes that are relevant to america so for example like there's a guy you meet who's just wearing he's just wearing like boxer briefs and it says, like, I'm wearing nothing at all, nothing at all, nothing at all. And then your character goes, like, stupid, sexy, I don't know his name. But that's, like, that's that's a Simpsons joke that's from season, like, 12 of The Simpsons where Flanders is skiing down the hill. 
And that joke is a very American joke, and it probably wouldn't work in other countries. And he even says that this joke is only in the American version of the game, and we trust that other localization teams, they can do whatever they want. So if they want to make a Chinese-related joke at that spot, they're allowed to. They were like, the only thing they are not allowed to change is the main story beat. But if they're like in-game jokes, and there's a lot, there's like, there's missions that are titled after like Fallout Boy songs. There's missions titled after like Drake's uh, Hotline Bling Dance. Like there are so many great cultural jokes in Final Fantasy fourteen, but they're only in the American version because that's what appeals to us. And for me, I find that really enjoyable because I get those jokes and I think they're really funny and they help moving me along the game. But I know for sure those jokes wouldn't work in a Brazilian version. Maybe the 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 Hotline Bling one would, but. Uh, or a Chinese version or a Japanese version. So that well, like they said, they trust that, hey, you can do what you're the Japanese localization team. If you think is something really funny, if you think people in that country will relate to that, here's your opportunity to make the game unique for your country. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And I hope that Pokemon would do that. I don't know if they do or not, but that's just where I stand. I, I think your your point of view is okay. This message is from Guy says, hey, SBJ and everyone, I've been listening for a couple years now, but finally decided to write in. I am a huge fan of this show, so much that for Father's Day, my wife made me an IS theme attached card. See picture below. I mainly wanted to thank you for keeping me entertained and brighten my days while working at my job, which I very much dislike. I was a logger. I am in a, I'm at a new job that I enjoy, but I'm still looking forward to each week hanging out with you guys. I also wanted to ask you this. Can you tell me the origins behind each of your Twitter handles? They're all so unique. I wonder what the stories are behind them. Also, I love when you guys get into heated discussions. The more drama, the better. SBJ is my favorite. Be nice to him, Will. That is all. Guy from Newport. I mean, Newport. I can just leave the program and it can be all SBJ. How's about that? Is um, that what you really want? Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would try being a logger for like a few months. I don't think it's anything I could spend years and years doing. It's it's hard work. So, hmm. That's uh, a really cool card. I'll probably post it in Slack for people. My Twitter handle has a really boring, uh, boring history. It's just that there was a collection of music that came out. That was called Dragging the Lake, and it was like volume one, two, three. I don't know if they did a fourth one or not. I probably stopped listening. But it was just a, a compilation of different artists that I liked. It's also a new way for me to find new artists. And that was it. That was pretty much it. But wait, if the compilation was called Dragging the Lake, why is your Twitter handle Dragging a Lake? I believe when I tried to make Dragging the Lake, it was taken on AOL Instant Messenger, so yeah, had to take what you can get. Good old days of days of aim just defining our online personalities. Wow, <laughs> you know, somebody who was actually part of the formation of my Twitter handle on—I guess it's now the ninth anniversary of me being on Twitter—brought up. The story and the events around how my Twitter handle were, was formed, and it actually brought in somebody else who was part of that uh, as part of the discussion. And it's just, it's as I tell people when they ask me the origin of my Twitter handle, it's it's a story that is so boring 
and so irrelevant that if I were to tell you, you'd regret that you asked in the first place. So just enjoy it for what it is. All right. And, uh, and there you go. All right, we'll do one more email. We'll do from Ian. A, a, Ewan? Ewan. Ewan? It's Ewan. Yeah, Ewan. Oh, All right. I mean, so this, yeah, it's a this, hard one. This is Ewan from the UK M- Martlesham. It's probably the city. Hello, PKM and Cast MB team. If you are there, I would just like to say that your podcast helps me with my boring bike ride to school every Monday. Also, I have a problem. I love Pokemon as much as you guys, and I wish there was a club for me to go to at my school, but it's not cool to play Pokemon, and I get a, lo- I get a lot of hate for liking it, and I still play it. I still play it every day. I'm 14 years old, and I want to know what your guys' thoughts on Puccina is, as I love it. Thanks, guys, for the podcast. Ewan. All right, UK teens. Pokemon is still cool, so get over yourselves. Yeah, I don't know. That's like a hard age. Right, I have said multiple times that I stopped playing Pokemon around Gen 3 because it wasn't cool. For some reason, people care about what other people think at that age. Some people can't get past that and continue caring what other people think uh, as the years go on. When I was 14, I mean, I didn't have video games, but I certainly had a fondness for Decepticons and I would go to the toy stores and buy whatever the new Decepticons that were that were out for my collection of Decepticons which I will never forgive my parents for um, destroying and I don't have any longer but yeah I mean I, I understand that but you, you gotta like what you like you gotta hold true to who you are and just get through it you're not a teenager forever so yeah I'm sure I mean I'm sure you will find other people that like Pokemon and that will be that will probably be a huge relief at the same time as being like really exciting Uh, my advice would be just know who your like know who your friends is what your friends interests are I have a ton of different friends that all don't like the same things as me like one of the uh, one of my friends doesn't like Pokemon at all, so it's just not what we talk about. And like when I'm hanging out with Micah, as much as I love like Final Fantasy XIV or Clash Royale, I mean he doesn't play those games, so it's not a conversation we ever talk about with each other. But I do have people that play Final Fantasy XIV that I can talk with about Final Fantasy XIV. Just like if I need to talk about Pokemon, I will talk to that to Will. Or I have some friends that don't watch wrestling at all. So it's like, what's the point of me bringing up wrestling if they don't watch it? And so if these, if, if people are, if the, well, one, if these are your friends that are giving you a hard time, maybe you need to find different friends. But if your friends don't like Pokemon, that's just something you guys can't talk about. And I'm sure there are something else that you guys both like that you can talk about. And then in retrospect, if you do find Pokemon fan, friends, they probably don't like something that your other friends uh, like. Uh, so it's it's all about just knowing, you know, what your friends like and don't like and forming forming that relationship around the interests that you guys do share. Is that good advice? That's, I think what it basically comes down to is you need to have a lot of friends just so that you can have select groups for each particular topic. <laughs> <laughs> My opinion of Puchaina, I love the fact that it learns play rough at level 46 which is a fairy type move but 
it's a really uh, cool move that um, I'm not sure. Does Maidaina actually learn play rough? I don't think so, but I don't have it in front of me. Um, that's why I do have it in front of me. Oh, Maidaina doesn't learn play rough until level 56. So keep your Poochainas pooched until level 46, and then you can evolve them if you want to. There you go. But it's a cute little doggy. It's cuter <laughs> than Rock Rough. We're running low on emails finally. I think I've I've gotten through most of them. So again, if you want to email us, sbj at pkmncast.com or just go to our website, pokemonpodcast.com. Hit the contact button. It'll, that'll take you there. Big thanks to Ray Rizzo for being on and doing that interview. We are going to jump to... I know that was like... I should have said that before the email segment, but I just remember now. Uh, we will jump to our Pokemon of the week here with Snorlax, which is Ray Rizzo's favorite Pokemon. I will toss it over to Will here. Snorlax is a huge, bipedal, dark blue-green Pokemon with a cream-colored face, belly, and feet. Its body is composed of mostly its belly, where most of its fat reserves accumulate. Its head is large, with small pointed ears and two pointed teeth protruding from its lower jaw. It has large hind feet with three claws and a circular brown paw pad, and its arms and five foreclaws are short. Snorlax is often found in mountains and forests. It wakes up only to eat and seldom for exercises. It is not a picky eater, as its strong stomach allows it to eat even moldy food without feeling any ill effects. When hungry, it is not satisfied until it consumes 900 pounds, that's 400 kilograms, of food. Snorlax is docile enough to let children and small Pokemon bounce on its large stomach. And we're going to do our Pokemon Go moveset for Snorlax here. Got two different moves you can use. If you decide to attack with Snorlax, which is probably not, not the best uh, use of your Snorla- use of a t- attacker, you'll want to go with the quick move Lick, and you'll want to go with the charge move of Hyper Beam and get that stab. If you are going to put Snorlax in the gym, which is probably the better choice uh, use of Snorlax, you'll want to go with Zen Headbutt and then Body Slam. Hyper Beam still okay for gym use, but um, Body Slam is probably the preferred just because of how the gym functionality is. And a shiny Snorlax is a more royal blue than the greenish grayish blue that snorlax is it's a it's a good shiny uh some trivia here in yeah the, i like that yeah in the pokemon stadium series and later 3d games snorlax will open their eyes when they faint in pokemon snap snorlax stands up and dances to the music when the pokey flute is used in heart gold and soul silver if the player interacts with a snorlax that is walking with them at mount silver the message, Snorlax is feeling very eager, will appear. This is due to Red, who is also at Mount Silver, owning a Snorlax as well. While the player's at Mount Silver, the unique messages will also appear for players walking with a Pikachu or a Charizard. Snorlax has the highest base stat total of all Pokemon that can hatch from an egg. In Pokemon Gold and Silver, Snorlax is programmed to be able to learn Crunch through... Oh, sorry charm through breeding but no other pokemon in that monster group can legitimately learn it to pass it down in that egg move in those games in generation three and on 
Snorlax can inherit that move from Bulbasaur by chain breeding. And finally, Snorlax is the heaviest normal type Pokemon. You'd think there'd be more, but you'd think there'd be more since Snorlax has been around since the beginning, but now also Snorlax is a cat. Uh, Bulbapedia says a bear, cave bear. Well, they're wrong. It's a cat. So let's do a little bit of house cleaning real quick. The big thing here is I've been streaming weekly on Twitch every Monday night. Uh, there is a TCG stream that I've been doing for the Pokemon TCG. And Irene and I will be continuing our, our journey of Leaf Green this week. So I believe we have two scheduled uh, streams re- uh, planned this week. Also, this Saturday, Irene will be doing the second part of Pokemon Snap, her playthrough of that. She's never played Pokemon Snap until, what, like two months ago when we originally started it. So we will be finishing Pokemon Snap this Saturday. But all those times are located on the Twitch page, twitch.tv slash pkmncast. There's a link that says full stream schedule. If you click on that, it will show you those stream times in your time zone. It will automatically convert it so you don't have to do the math. So that's really great. So we are, I'm going to be doing more and more streaming. If you're, if you're interested in that, please come out and check that out on Twitch. If you missed it, all those videos will be sent to YouTube, youtube.com slash pkmncast. Otherwise, uh... I don't know if we said this last week, but we have a Patreon if you're interested in supporting the show and getting access to our Slack community, which we bring up quite a bit. You can head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash it's super effective. And if you support us at a dollar a month, you will get access to our Slack community, which is just a great group of people. And if you support us at $4 a month, which comes to a $1 an episode, you get our bonus podcast, Alola Vacation, which is Irene and I watching the Pokemon Sun and Moon anime and talking about that, which is really great. It's really fun. And it also gets you into an exclusive gold-only channel where I usually post people doing uh, dumb things, and it's pretty funny. There's other posts there, but that's what I like to post. Wait, is gold where we talk about logos, or is that crystal? Uh, I think the logo talk is also in gold. All right, there you go. <laughs> logo logo talk is a good time too. Uh, Will you got anything else? Well, I mean, if you want to hear more of my voice, I'm still putting out a weekly podcast called Drive Check Card Fight Vanguard podcast. I don't care if you like Vanguard or not, just listen to it. At least listen to the first five minutes where we don't talk about Vanguard, and then you can turn it off. I just need your downloads. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll wrap up the episode. We'll be back next week. And this has been another episode of the Pokemon Podcast. And we are... Super Effective. get somebody else so I can not have to do that anymore.